Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to another installment of your favorite paranormal podcast. As I just mentioned, my name is Derek Hayes, and I am the host and creator of this humble little project. Now folks, it's been a wild week here in the Golden State. Storm after storm dumping inches of rain on already saturated ground. And we've been dealing with mudslides outside the studio and some flooding within. But I rigged up an old water pump and a couple of garden hoses. And now we're slowly but surely drying up. And for now, the rains have stopped. But with threats of six or seven more inches by the weekend looming, the relief is only temporary. But hey, as they say, we need the water. So who am I to complain? And of course, our thoughts go out to those affected even further than we were. Because believe it or not, we were lucky. So despite this week's setbacks, I think I have a nice little show put together for you guys. We have some monsters, a little mayhem, and this entry from Mike in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, hi, Derek. This is Mike. I'm calling from Pennsylvania. I love your show. I found it out on the Alexa app. I have so many stories to tell, even demon stories, but I can't get into all that. It'll take me oh, days and days. When I was a small boy, and it was in January of 1968, I was eight years old, uh, eight and a half. And this was in Charleston, Maine. My father was stationed on a little radar site on top of a mountain. The town below was... Charleston and Bangor was the other town maybe like 20 miles away 30 it was in the boonies and I was watching Animal Kingdom and I after it was over it was still light out we just had a snowstorm so I, I got up went to the closet I don't know where my brothers were or my sister my mother so I put my boots on and I put my coat on I went outside it's still light but it's starting to get dark and my sister and my, she's no longer living now. My sister and my neighbors, Beth and Jason, was the name, their names, I'm sorry. And I said, can I help you? They said, no, get lost. Live in a small house areas, two housing areas. And I hit him dead on. So I started running. He's falling behind me. And I'm laughing at him, but he gives up pursuit. So I run behind my mom's friend's house. She moved out. Her husband was stationed to another assignment. I had my hands on my knees, on my jeans, and like breathing hard and laughing. And I look out, there's a dog house there, a little dome at the edge of the lawn. And I see in the tree line about a quarter of a mile away, maybe it's a half a mile away, I see this black thing. It's, it's, it looks supernatural. So I'm just a kid, I don't know. All I knew is about Casper and George the Ghost. I used to get the library books of George the Ghost in local school. And I, I see this thing. I don't know what it is. It's black. And it keeps walking towards me. It's coming closer and closer. And I see it as it crosses by the dirt road. There's a hill up the top. There's a farmhouse up there, a pond. We used to go strawberry picking there. And this thing raises its hands up. It's got like a cloak. And you can see the arms underneath the cloak coming up. 
and the hands were web-like fingers. And it's coming towards me, and I'm standing watching it. And I look at the sky, the moon's passing over the clouds. And I look at it, and it keeps coming closer, and I'm getting a better look at it. This thing is black with a round head. It's about eight foot tall, and it has no face. And it crosses over the dirt road. It's in the yard now. And I, I said, what am I going to do? I, I froze up. I got to run for it. And this thing's coming closer and closer. As I turn, I can see the peripheral vision of my eyes. It darted towards me where I was at. So I go along the side of the house. It's a one-story house. And I, I look back, and it's coming towards me. And this time, it's faster, moving faster. And then I run across where the street light is. And, and it's humming. And the road, you know, the light is humming. The ball must be bad. And it's where I was at the house. And it's coming towards me with his hands up in the air. And I took off running for home. And I banged on the door, let me in, Mom, let me in. I told my mother, but she didn't believe me. But later, before she died, she told me she believed me. And I had so many experiences. I would love to tell you all. I had dreams, and I have seen angels, and I had a demon. And I'm not, you know, I'm being honest with you. And I love your show. You're doing a great job. And your callers are all sincere. And I really appreciate your show. Thank you very much. I'm glad I found it. I never heard anything as good as your show, not even the sitcoms on the TV. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Thanks, Mike. Better than a sitcom. I'll take that. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to begin with the description given of the creature that was witnessed. It was big, tall, black, bipedal with some sort of cloth or cloak covering its upper portion. A creature stumbling toward Mike as he jokingly hides from his neighbor. Now my first thought was that Mike simply saw one of Maine's many trappers. Now very often these hardened woodsmen sport beards and wear coats made of the fur from the animals that they ensnared and killed. And from what I gather, it's big business in Maine so a sighting like that wouldn't be all that unusual. So sure, it could have been that. But would you believe me when I suggest that it also could have been the infamous Sasquatch? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. A Sasquatch in a fur coat. Now, if you don't believe me, please reference this passage from Nick Redfern's The Bigfoot Book, the Encyclopedia of Sasquatch Yeti and Cryptid Primates. Page 54, if you'd like to follow along. Without a doubt, one of the most bizarre aspects of the Bigfoot phenomenon is the clothed Bigfoot. It's one thing to encounter such a creature. It's quite another to see it attired in pants and shirt. But incredibly, such controversial claims do exist. Now, Lauren Coleman says... In the late 1960s and 1970s, reports from the American West would occasionally surface of hairy, bipedal Bigfoot being seen with tattered plaid shirts and ragged shorts on their bodies. Now, investigators generally did not know what to make of these Sasquatch-wearing plaid shirts, but dutifully cataloged and filed them away, nevertheless. So, for those of you unfamiliar, Lauren Coleman is a cryptozoological legend. He's the author of, I would say, at least two dozen books on the subject, and he can be found in nearly every single documentary made about anything cryptozoology-related. On top of that, he also runs the International Cryptozoology Museum, and of all places, Portland, Maine. But in addition to those plaid shirts and ragged shorts, are reports of the creature wearing furs or pelts. Sometimes, as Mike described, Entire hides, which they wear as a cloak. Now, if you think about it, that behavior isn't all that crazy. Gorillas are known to use palm fronds to shield themselves from the rain. So why is it absurd to think that a Sasquatch might be doing something similar? Albeit on a much more brutal scale. But I imagine a few skeptical listeners out there are still wondering aloud to themselves, does Maine even have legends in place 
that would even suggest a creature like this could exist there. And first, I commend that listener on their skepticism. But second, I'll answer with a hearty yes. Yes, they do. There are a few documentaries, a few books, and even a well-known mystery ape with a fitting handle and a fitting reputation. Maine is known for a wide variety of wildlife, but for about a week in July of 1973, residents of Durham reported seeing an entirely different creature, one that leading cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman has researched for decades. Nowadays we call it the Durham Gorilla. The reports began when the Huntington children were riding their bikes by Jones Cemetery near the Durham-Brunswick line. That's when they say they saw a creature with a monkey face running through the cemetery. The children told their mother about the encounter, and the very next day, Mrs. Moetta Huntington saw the creature in the same area on the side of the road before it dashed into the woods. She, too, described an ape-like creature. It was hairy. It was bent over. It ran on four legs sometimes, got up on two legs and seemed to run along. Dozens of local and state police officers and sheriff's deputies swarmed the Durham area over the next few days as calls from frightened residents poured in. Could this be a bear? A moose? Newspaper headlines about the creature went from centerfold to front page in a matter of days. Then, investigators found footprints. They weren't, you know, boots. They weren't moose tracks. They were actually ape-like tracks that had a toe out to the side. But as quickly as it appeared, the ape-like creature vanished. Over the years, people have searched for the so-called Durham Gorilla. Now that clip courtesy of NBC News, News Center, Maine. The Durham Gorilla. Now I absolutely love the names these creatures were given back in the day. Someone was certainly thinking of merchandise ideas when they named this one. What I wouldn't do for a solid Durham Gorilla t-shirt, preferably in that wild 1970s or 1980s style glitter back design. Like something that you would buy at the state fair. Anyhow, Bigfoot in Maine. It's one of the least populated and most forested states in the Union. So I suppose it makes sense that something could be hiding there. Thank you again, Mike, for shedding some light on it. Now next up, we venture to the state of Tennessee, where Taylor is armed with our next tale. Hi, my name is Taylor. I live in East Tennessee, about uh, 30, 35 minutes east of Knoxville. And my story, this is the only thing that's ever happened to me in my life that I'd say that I still cannot explain to this day. This happened back in early 2000s. I was probably about 9 or 10. I played peewee football. And my father and I were in the car driving back from one of my football games. And my brother was in the car with my mother, who they had left shortly after us. Uh, We had two separate vehicles because my father drove us to the games and my mother showed up later after she got off of work. So as my father and I were driving back home, this was probably around 8.30 in the fall time. I can't remember if the time had changed or not, but it was very dark. The particular part of the road that we were going down had very thick wooded areas on both sides. This is out in the country. There were no houses on this stretch of the road. And we were probably going about 40 miles an hour when something, I would say, the size of a large medicine ball flew out of the woods from the right and across the hood of the car and disappeared into the woods on our left. You know, all I could describe it was as a glowing ball. And when I say glowing, I don't mean bright like a light bulb. I mean so, like a soft glow, almost like a, you would imagine a glow stick, but it was emanating light. And I thought maybe I had just you know, seen something, a trick of the eye. However, my father 
turned to me as he was driving and said, did you see that too? Which surprised me because that means that we both saw it, obviously. My dad couldn't explain it. My dad's always been very skeptical of paranormal and things that we couldn't understand. Now, the weirdest part of the story was whenever we arrived home, my mother had showed up not long after us, maybe five, ten minutes afterwards, and her and my brother had said that on their way back home, they were on the same stretch of road, and as they were driving, they said that what they could only describe as the silhouette of a man ran out in the road in front of them and was waving his arms above his head. They couldn't make out any features besides it looked like the silhouette of an adult male. And whenever he ran out into the road, my mother slammed on her brakes and it threw both of them forward in the vehicle. She came to a complete stop and whenever she looked up, they said that there wasn't anyone in the road. I don't know if this was on the exact same area of the road that we saw the glowing ball, but the fact that it happened on the same night, roughly around the same time, on the same road, I still to this day can't explain it. Just started listening to your show this week, and I just wanted to share this story with you. I love the podcast so far. Keep up the good work. Bye. Well, in the words of the late, great Johnny Carson, Lynch weird, wacky stuff. So thank you, Taylor, for sharing it with us. Now, let's break it down. So if it were just the glowing orb we were dealing with, I would think maybe it was simply ball lightning or something similar to that. Swamp gas or something. But the addition of the spooky figure seen by the mother... With that addition, I'm not so sure. Now, there are things out there that do glow naturally. Lightning bugs, radioactive elements, and some fungus glows in the dark. But none of that would or should manifest itself into orb form. And it certainly shouldn't be shooting across any roads. So this one is intriguing to me, but disappointing as well. Disappointed because Taylor obviously didn't have a dash cam. Not that I think laying eyes on it would help me solve this mystery in any way. But maybe, just maybe, it would be nice to bask in its glow. Whatever it is. Thank you again, Taylor, for the entry. Now, folks, if you have a story you would like to share here on the show... Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-N-I-G-H-T. Okay, so if you listened to that year-end special just a few weeks ago, you might recall a story by an anonymous caller who claimed to see a gargoyle in the state of California when he was a child. Well, get a load of this entry I recently uncovered. Out of, of all places, California. Hey, Derek, man, the craziest thing is happening right now. And uh, I figured I'd call here because I know nobody will probably believe me. So I'm actually on my way to pick up my girlfriend so we can go to the movie. And I was on the off-ramp where the 405 meets the 105. And as soon as I was taking the ramp to catch the, the 105, something popped out, man. That thing looked like a gargoyle. It, just, it was kind of like crouching and just getting ready to leap. And at first I thought it was crazy. Like, man, it's a person. Like... I was like, what is this person about to do? You know, just run across the freeway and hop like towards the lane. And then I tried to hit my brake and uh, it quickly just jumped back to the bushes. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm kind of spooked right now. This is like one of the craziest things that's happened to me. February 18th. And so um, weather is actually pretty nice right now. It's not that windy. It's not that raining. And I haven't been drinking, and I'm not tired, so I, I'm, dude, I'm just, right now, I'm just uh, in shock. Um, anyways, I hope you can use the story, man. Thanks. Thanks, caller. Now, I will admit, it's a little odd that both gargoyle sightings 
the show is received took place only a few miles from one another. Above all else, that's certainly worth mentioning. But ironically, I was researching for another call in this episode, when I might have stumbled upon a flap of sightings that could also fall into this strange gargoyle category. And you'll never guess where it took place. Okay, you guessed it. Southern California. And the following article was published on June 30th, 1996, by the Advocate Herald. Chupacabra Sightings in California. San Diego. A monster has been terrorizing the local town of Poway, just a few miles north of San Diego in the Mexican border. Recent sightings and a reported attack have put the entire community on alert. City officials, however, claim to know nothing about the events that have the local residents locking their doors and closing their windows at night. The source of this terror is a creature called the Chupacabra. It is described as three feet tall with bat-like wings, fangs, and large claws, somewhat resembling a gargoyle. It's said to be nocturnal and very aggressive. It has been reported to have attacked both humans and livestock, and is said to be carnivorous. Various witnesses have reported seeing chupacabras all the way from Puerto Rico to Texas to Tijuana. Anyone encountering one of these animals should immediately contact local authorities. Do not approach it, and move indoors as quickly as possible. Now, I was able to confirm that the Advocate Herald is a real newspaper, with offices out of South Carolina and Florida, and they were in business at the time of this article's publishing. But regardless of all that, I was not able to confirm that this article is genuine. Full disclosure, I was only able to find it via a third-party paranormal website, so I cannot speak to its authenticity, but I can speak to its creepiness and its relevance to our listener's call. And I can comment on how similar it is to the other gargoyle encounters we've heard about in this and past episodes. But this is where the trail ends, at least for now. We'll revisit this a little later on in the program. But for now, big thanks, caller, for reporting your experience. On a winter night in a small community near Denver, Colorado, Jim Matthews arrived home late. He expected to find his 12-year-old daughter, who'd been dropped off after a Christmas concert. But when he called out, Hey, Jonah, the house was eerily quiet. Now his daughter's shoes were on the floor, but she was gone, and it would be another 35 years before she would be found dead. After the discovery of Jonell Matthews' body in 2019, the police turned their attention to a man who had told law enforcement years ago that he knew something, but they dismissed him. The man did seem obsessed with the case, but was that all he was? A true crime fanatic or a killer? Wondry and Campside Media's podcast, Suspect, is back for a second season with a story that attempts to separate one man's true crime obsession from a motive for murder. If you're a fan of true crime, mystery, and suspense, this is one you won't want to miss. Listen to Suspect wherever you get your podcast. And Prime members, you can binge the entire series ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon app today. Now for this next one, we return to the state of Pennsylvania, where this time we hear from Anthony, from the eastern part of the state. Hey Derek, this is Anthony. I'm calling out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So, love your podcast. I actually started from the beginning. So I'm just going to jump right into my story here. So I'm not exactly sure what it was that I saw. So I was kind of hoping that, you know, you could use it and help me debunk a little bit. So it was when I was younger, I was about 12 and I was in middle school and my mom used to bring me to school early. So I used to go in for some extra math help before school started. Now, it was winter time, so it was very cold outside. I believe we had just had some snow a couple of days prior to this happening. So we went outside, get loaded up into the car, me and my mom. You know, it was very, very dark. It was early in the morning, about 5 a.m., 5.30 maybe. So it was very early. It was still very, very dark out. And 
I live right in like Center City, Bethlehem. So I'm like a block over and like maybe three blocks up from, you know, the downtown area where all the shops are and, you know, restaurants and, you know, the main street where everybody goes. And we lived in a half a double and there's an alleyway that cuts through our street. So we are like three houses away from the alleyway. So me and my mom, we come out and we're getting loaded up in the car. And I noticed this old woman walking. She comes out from the alleyway and she makes a left onto our street. And I noticed her, my mom noticed her. She's very, very old. Uh, I believe she was using a cane to walk. She's moving very slowly. And I remember she walked up onto the sidewalk. I saw her, I got into the car. My mom got in the car and we strapped up our seatbelts, you know, getting ready to go. And I look out the window and this old woman is gone, like just disappeared. And I looked over at my mom and I was, you know, mom, where'd the old woman go? Like, where'd that lady go? And my mom looks and she looks in the rear view mirror. And she's kind of like looking around and says, I don't know, that's really weird. So we get out of the car because I was like, this is really weird. Like, she couldn't have just disappeared. And so we get out and, you know, I go run over to the alleyway and I look up and down the alleyway. I was like, no, she's not there. We're looking down the street, can't see her. This woman is just gone. And I remember, you know, there's this apartment building that's, you know, diagonal across from us. And, you know, we, we pretty much, you know, we were really close to our neighbors. So we, we know pretty much who is living around us. You know, we would, you know, get together with neighbors for like block parties and stuff. So like we knew, and this, I, I'd never seen this old woman before. And, you know, like I said, she, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was walking with a cane. So like, there's no way she could have just taken off. And I don't think she would have, you know, went into another house or anything like that. So this lady just disappeared. So not really sure what we saw, but like we still talk about it to this day. It's just super weird. And this is, I mean, like I said, I, I was 12. So this is, you know, over 10 years ago, but just, yeah, super weird. And just curious what your thoughts are on it. Uh, again, love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. I hope you can use this story. Uh, and I look forward to listening to your podcast more. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Anthony. Okay, here's my best shot. Could it be as simple as someone stopped by with their vehicle and picked up the old lady? Perhaps it was a quick exchange. Stop, shove granny in the car, and haul balls out of there. Maybe they were late or something. And perhaps the car simply went unnoticed. Now, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Anthony said she was slow and walking with a cane. And he did mention it was exceptionally cold out that day. So in my mind, it's less likely that she was out for a walk, and more likely that she was out catching a ride. But outside of that, Anthony, that's really all I have. Perhaps a keen-eared listener can chime in. But until they do, thank you for calling in. Now, although this next entry does take us back to Southern California and practically into my backyard, this is not the gargoyle revisit that I promised. It is, however, a creepy little number sent in from Ty in L.A. Now, a quick little warning. This entry does briefly mention suicide. Hey, Derek, this is Ty again. I've been listening to your show for several months now, and I called in uh, several times with several experiences. This is probably the scariest one uh, to date. Okay, so uh, bear with me here. It's kind of a lot, but I'll I'll try to lay this out as simply as I can. So as I mentioned to you before, I live in L.A., but I was born in a city called San Bernardino, California. For the unaware, it was actually the birthplace of McDonald's in 1948 and the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, (laughs) which is kind of a funny, I guess, juxtaposition there. But anyway... So this takes place in 1972 when I'm six years old. And again, let me back up here with some history. 
there was a department store in San Bernardino called the Harris Company. It was a, uh, at the time, it opened in 1905, and at the time it was a, a big deal for San Bernardino. It was, it was a very high-end, intricately decorated, I guess, store. So, again, store opens in uh, 1905. So, again, my story takes place in 1972. I'm six years old, and I was raised by a single mom at the time in San Bernardino. Uh, our routine was that uh, she worked during the week, and on the weekends, usually on Saturdays, we'd go to the store. It was a one-stop department store with everything, so we'd go there to shop. So the way it's laid out, and I'll send you a picture of the staircase, but there's a beautiful spiral staircase in a certain part of the building. And so as a kid, you know, this was 72, uh, things pretty safe. So as mom would go shopping, she let me kind of, you know, just wander around. And I, I didn't get into trouble. I would just kind of wander around and just, just look around. Uh, so as my routine, not all the time, but once in a while, I would go to this uh, staircase. And as I said, I'll show you the picture, but there's a landing kind of in the middle, kind of midway between the uh, third floor and the second floor where I would just kind of stand on this uh, landing. Uh, had a railing. I would just kind of lean over a little bit and look down at the people walking below. It's kind of daydream. Just kind of a little habit I would do once in a while. Uh, this particular time, uh, I remember just kind of doing this kind of lazily, leaning over there, kind of had one arm kind of over the rail, just kind of, you know, just whatever, daydreaming. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I, I just started getting angry, really angry for no reason, and sort of hyperventilating, which was very bizarre. So much to the point that I thought I was probably gonna pass out. But what was most bizarre is that I had this overwhelming urge, and uh, overwhelming might be an understatement, but I had this just bizarre compulsion to throw myself over the railing and kill myself. And uh, understand, I'm six years old, never been suicidal, certainly wasn't at that time. But as I said, this just bizarre, overwhelming urge to throw myself over the railing came over me. Uh, this all went on for about a minute, and thankfully I had a good sense to just run down the stairs to the, to the first floor and find my mother. And when I got to my mother, I never told her about any of this, or actually I didn't tell anybody about this. Uh, fast forward now to this year, May of this year, uh, I'm on Facebook, and I joined a group. It's a group about San Bernardino, about people who were either born in San Bernardino or, or you know, worked there, grew up there, whatever. So I joined this group. Uh, I'm in this group, and I happen to come across a woman, and uh, I'm saying her name because this is important to the story, but uh, I come across a woman. Her name is Hillary Harris. And as it would turn out, she was the great-granddaughter of Philip Harris, and he was one of the three brothers that formed this, as I mentioned earlier, he was one of the three brothers that formed this department store called Harris Company. She was a great-granddaughter. So anyway, it was great to meet her, and I just kind of told her who I was and uh, my history with the store, and I said, hey, look, I said, you know, you should, you should definitely start a, a Harris group on Facebook for people who shop at the store. Anyway, long story short, she did. So she starts this great group. It's a group that we can all share experiences with the store, anything, just, you know, your experience buying things there, working there, being there, whatever. So anyway, as we also share our stories, I find out that uh, there are a lot of ghost stories in this store, uh, a lot of hauntings, I guess. Uh, many of the employees had, uh, you know, sort of chimed in and, and, and talked about many experiences they had with various ghosts in the store. So anyway, I post in the group about my experience on the staircase back in 1972. And uh, she ends up talking to her father, uh, I guess, about it. And it turns out the staircase, and again, as I said, I'll, I'll send you the picture of this thing, but this was imported from Portugal. And apparently there was, a, there was, I guess it was in another store in Portugal overseas. And I guess in the mid-1950s, they brought this staircase from there and put it in this department store, Harris's, uh, where, where it stayed until the store closed. So we're out of business, at least that store, I believe it was like the late 90s, but the building's still there and the staircase is still there. But uh, in any event, so the staircase was imported to San Bernardino, to this store, and, and installed in this department store. And apparently he also told her that the story that he'd been told was that when it was over there, I guess, in Portugal, there was a couple, a uh, man and a woman, and apparently whatever place it was in before, whatever store it was in before in Portugal, I guess they loved to go shopping there. And apparently, long story short, the man broke up with the young lady for whatever reason. She was distraught and eventually did end up throwing herself over that very railing on that staircase and uh, killing herself. That's what uh, Hillary Harris, again, passed on to me from her father. So, you know, I've studied many things about ghosts, and I know oftentimes that ghosts can be attached to objects or things where something traumatic happened. 
So with that in mind, then uh, it sort of made sense that, you know, again, I can't prove this, but it certainly makes me wonder that experience I had up there in, in 1972, if perhaps it was the uh, the woman that had killed herself on the uh, staircase and uh, perhaps out of grief, perhaps out of anger, perhaps out of, you know, misery, love company, whatever, for whatever reason, I wonder if that was her, her anger, her, her pain, her whatever you want to call it, was perhaps coming through her to me. And, you know, her, her wanted me to also, you know, throw myself over the railing and kill myself. So, uh, as I said, I've had many paranormal things, but certainly that was by far my scariest one. And certainly, uh, as after that, that incident in 72, I never went back on the stairs to, uh, certainly at least not to, not to play around. So, uh, anyway, I uh, hope you can use that. Great show. Keep up the great work. Great outlet for many of us who have experienced paranormal things. Do appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Ty. You know, I only live a few miles from this location. Granted, at least one of those miles is straight down from the mountain. But it's not far from here at all. And as it turns out, I drive by it from time to time. I had no idea it was there. And I believe it's still standing today. And I did as I do and did a little research. And at least part of what Ty said about the staircase is true. I was able to confirm that the tiles and the wrought iron railing from the fixture were imported from Portugal. I could not, however, confirm that they were part of a previous structure there. And I certainly can't confirm the story associated with it. But regardless of that, it's an interesting entry. And at best, a wild coincidence. At worst... I will save that for another day. Oh, and by the way, Ty did submit a photo of the staircase. So visit the show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash show notes to take a peek. Now it goes without saying, but our next entry is a spooky one. Remember that babysitter movie? Or someone said the call is coming from inside the house. Well, I bet Cherry Lee remembers. Because her entry is eerily similar. Hi, Derek. This is Cherry Lee G. from San Antonio, Texas, calling in with a minor freaky story. This happened between 2004-2005. My sister, my niece, and I had just moved into a home that her friend had rented out to us and if I'm not mistaken I believe the house was built between the 1940s or 50s maybe 60s if I have to stretch it and it was a very small house I'll try to give you the layout of land as best I can Uh, when you walk in through the front door you had your living room dining room combination you walk to your right a few feet there was an opening and there was a short hallway You had access to two bedrooms and the bathroom. You come out of that short hallway, you walk a few more feet to your right. There's an opening and a short staircase up and it went into a half attic. You come out of that half attic and literally right there, you had your kitchen and the back door. So it's a very small place. Anyway, this happened, had to be a Monday, Wednesday or Friday because we were all gone. By 7 a.m., my sister was at work, my niece was at school, I was at dialysis. So on this particular day, we all came home around the same time. I would have to say it had to be between, say, 4.30 and 5 p.m. that day. And we're doing our routine, getting settled in for the evening. And my OCD self, for some reason, didn't check the answering machine. So... While my sister was in the kitchen, she reaches over, right there on the counters, the machine, taps the button. Many, many different wrong numbers, whatever, what have you. My nephew used to call and leave us funny messages and so on. So we get to the last message. And it's just slow and steady breathing. And not like creeper, like if a creeper would call you, you know breathing and my sister's like what the heck I'm like um, yeah 
Mm, I don't get it. And so I said, check the caller ID, see who it was. So she checks the caller ID, and she said, this can't be possible. And I said, what is it? She goes, it's our home phone number. I'm like, what the hell? And I said, no. I said, well, compare the timestamps to the message with the caller ID. And sure enough, timestamp matches. Phone number matches. It's our damn home phone number. And I'm like, what the hell? And she's like, okay, we were all gone today. And I said, yeah. And she's like, Travis, which is our nephew, she's like, he couldn't have done this. Because back then, there weren't any little tricks you can do like you can now to mess with people. So it's like, oh, hell. (laughs) So that was like a minor experience we had in that home. I had many, many different experiences by myself there and I'll call in a bit later with those stories. But, yeah, I just wanted to share this little minor one with you. So thanks for listening. Thank you for your show. Keep up the good work. And look forward to many, many more. Everybody take care, take it easy, and be safe. Thank you, Jerry Lee G. As cliche as it sounds, back in the day, the very concept of this would send most people into hysterics. I mean, how many movies did they make on this concept alone? And I suppose, for good reason. Because the idea of a stranger hiding somewhere in your house is downright terrifying. Well, it's a great story, Jerry Lee, and we appreciate you taking the time to share it with us here this evening. Now, before I push play on this last submission... Don't forget to visit our merchandise shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop or by hitting that shop tab when you visit the site. And now through the end of January, everything in-house is 15% off. So again, that's monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the shop tab. Now, speaking of eerie phone calls, this next one might just take that specific cake. Coming to us from the state of Utah, please welcome Dave to the program. Hey guys, this is Dave from northern Utah. So I'm calling to report a couple incidences of doppelgangers and a potential contact from them. So last week I was driving, turning right, and as I was turning right, a Jeep was turning left, and so we passed within a few feet of each other well enough to see the driver and I looked over and it just so happened to look like my aunt. I was talking to my mother on the phone at the time and I told her, Hey, it's odd to see her here. I want to call her and see what's going on. So I hung up with my mother and I called my aunt and I was saying, Hey, how are you? What are you doing? I just saw you. And I could tell by the background noise that the second that I got done saying that, that I definitely did not see her because she sounded like she was in a public place and not in her car. And sure enough, when the voice came back across the phone, it was my uncle. And he was like, well, actually, no, you didn't just see her. We are in Idaho, nowhere near where you are. And like I said, in northern Utah. And I was like, oh, well, alrighty then. I guess that settles that. And so I described it to him and I was like, it looked just like your Jeep. It looked just like her. And he just laughed and he said, nope, definitely not her. And so that was that. So fast forward, about a week later, I stopped into my aunt and uncle's house as I was driving past it from work one day. And I was like, hey, that was so strange. Like, I was so sure that I saw you. And my aunt continued to tell me, oh, I have people call me weekly saying that they think they saw me, but it's not me. She's like, I definitely have a couple doppelgangers. And that just become a reality to me is what my aunt said to me. So I chalked it up to just weird and but it was a little uncomfortable. Like I was never more sure in my life that that was her. Fast forward again, today is April 18th. So last night on April 17th, my wife and I were driving a small back country road, letting our dogs just run along the dirt road, trying to get some energy up before bed. And we saw a car coming. So we pulled the dogs back in the truck for a minute. And as the car passed, 
I was more than positive that it was one of my friends. It was his Toyota Tacoma. It had the same stickers in all the places that I knew it had. Had the same light bar. The guy had my friend's duck hunting hat that he always has on, a big bushy beard. And it was heading towards the direction of my friend's house. And so I was never more positive. So I texted him when I got home. I was like, hey, I just saw you on the road. And he was like, no, you didn't. He's like, I've been at work since 3 a.m. Like, it, it wasn't me. And I was so strange, so I told him who it looked like. And he was like, you know, he got mad because he wants his truck to be the, the only one that looks like that. So he was all mad that somebody had the nerve to make a Toyota that looks like his and whatnot. And so I was just like, oh, that is so strange. Two incidences of doppelgangers in one week. Like, how could that be? Well, to make it worse, like I said, today is April 18th. Yesterday was April 17th, and that was the second incident in a one-week period that I swear that I saw somebody that it wasn't them, but, like, I was more than positive. We passed within four feet of each other, and, like I, I, like I said, I just, I've never been more positive in my life. So I get a phone call today from an unknown number that my caller ID wouldn't pick up, and I answer those as a self-employed contractor. I answer them all, and I said, hello, this is so-and-so, and all I got was, Stop asking your friends. They are them. No more questions. And they hung up. So I have no idea what that was about. I tried to call it back. As a matter of fact, it freaked me out so much that I called my friend that works at a police department to try to track the phone call, track the number, if he could get it, and we'll see what I get. But it was just, yeah, it's really strange. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Enjoy. Bye. Derek, Dave from Northern Utah again. I just called in with a doppelganger story, and I figured I would hurry and call back and just give a little bit of detail about some interesting things beyond those two strange occurrences, three strange occurrences, I suppose. So my aunt, when I swear I saw her, it was like two in the afternoon. So broad daylight, sunny sky clear as could be. When I saw my friend, it was probably 1130 at night. So a little bit darker. But like I said, the truck and this one might have a little bit to say about maybe why there was some confusion beyond the point that I said he's got some very interesting uh, stickers in his back window. He's got a, a couple of sticks. Like he just thought it would be a funny sticker. So it's like a very unique he has that made sticker and this had it, but this truck had a light bar and the light bar was on. So not only like, so we were half blinded, but when he went past, he was driving slow enough that I was able to adjust and the light bar was so bright, it was able to adjust and make his face brighter. I could see inside the cab much better. So like I said, I saw these people very clearly. And I don't know, I've been caught up with the podcast and the last few episodes seem to have had some doppelgangers in them so maybe I'm self-projecting doppelgangers into places where they're not simply because I've been listening to the podcast and I've just been thinking about them more I don't know anyway so yeah I just thought I'd give you a little bit more information in that way once again love the podcast keep it up appreciate it y'all have a good day bye they are them what a strange phrase to repeat And it got me thinking, have there been other phone calls received that have been attributed to the doppelganger phenomena? And you know, after some digging, I might have just found my answer. The following voicemail was received by a man named John Colbert, and although it's hard to hear in some places, some investigators believe the mysterious man on the other end may be referring to his own doppelganger. Now, the following is an enhanced version of the call. For the original, visit the show notes. Message skipped. Next message. Listen to me and do exactly what I say. If you see me, run away. If I come to the door, don't answer. And no matter what you do, So 
Listen to me and do exactly as I say. If you see me, run away. And no matter what you do, do not let me in the house. If you couldn't make it out, that's part of what the voice said. It's terrifying stuff to hear from anyone, let alone a stranger on your voicemail. But the call continues into what I can only consider theatrics, heavy breathing, moaning, groaning, and finally some sort of evil laugh. Now, if I had to give my two cents worth, I'd say this is more of a werewolf transformation than it is a doppelganger warning. But all of this leaves me to think that it's a joke or a prank, probably something never meant for public exposure. But you guys know how I operate. I can't leave you with a fake phone call. We can't end the show with fabricated fear. Because we seek the real thing. And in that spirit, I thought I'd share something else that I found while researching this story. On a warm August night in Pueblo, Colorado, 911 dispatch received a call and hang up from a local number. And as his policy, they quickly dialed the number back. And that's when they realized they were calling a local funeral home. Well, after a few short rings, someone on the funeral home's line picked up. And the following is what was recorded that evening. Now keep in mind, the funeral home was closed, empty of living souls at least, and locked for the evening. And a police officer on the scene confirmed that all to be the case. Now here's that recording, again enhanced, to better hear what went down. Hello? Hello? Um. Hello? Like the previous clip, you can find the original call over in the show notes. And this is where the funeral home saga ends. But it's not where Dave's entry does. Like many callers do, he actually called back with some additional information. Hey Derek, Dave again. The time exactly is 9.54 Mountain Time. I just called about a doppelganger story, situation, whatever the heck we're going to call it. As I said, this strange phone call I received freaked me out enough that I called my buddy that works for the police department. I called my friend that works for the phone company. I had my friend send over the phone records because, like I said, the caller ID on my phone, even if like I clicked on it to go into the phone call's info, showed unknown number, unknown number. So I couldn't see the number. So I had my buddy from the phone company send my buddy at the police station my phone records, and my buddy with the police was like, hey, okay, I'll call you in a while. I'll, I'll look into it just a little bit. He's like, obviously, I've got things to do, but I'll look into it. So that was roughly 7.30, 7.45 this morning. I got that phone call at 7.12 exactly is when the phone call came through. So my buddy just called me back. Um, and in a brief interim, between the last time I called you, which was a half hour ago to now, I actually got a phone call from my dad. And this one's a synchronicity. I was listening to the latest, I think it's a Beyond episode or whatnot, I can't remember, I just was on Patreon, but the lady was talking about the attic and the friendly ghost in Iowa because she had just moved back to Des Moines. So funny enough, just in November, my dad and I and my mother and my wife went to Des Moines to the uh, National Farm Toy Convention. My dad's into that stuff, well I mean we're all into it, it's pretty fun. But we ended up staying in Gutenberg, Iowa, and the train track was maybe 20 feet from the house. And my dad loves trains, 
and like every time the train comes by, he just would walk outside and sit and, and look at it. Well, like I said, I called you probably a half hour ago, and in that time, my dad called me and was like, hey, I just have the strongest feeling that I need to talk to you about what happened in Iowa. And I was like, well, what happened in Iowa? And he was like, you know how the train would come through every night at 2 a.m.? And I was like, yeah, okay. He was like, well, I was getting back in bed because I went out to watch it. And I kid you not, my dad stays up just to watch the train drive by. He was like, I was getting into bed. He was like, it was like 2.30, 2.45. And he's like, I heard another train coming. So I got my clothes on and I was like, oh, sweet, double bonus. And he's like, I ran outside. I could see the light coming. The light passed me. And as the light passed me, there was no engine. My dad said there was no engine, no train, but he could clearly see the light, hear the whistle, hear the train, but there was no train. And like I said, this train track is literally like 20 feet from the back of the house. There was just a little dirt road that ran alongside of it. My dad was just like, I stared at it for four seconds when I realized what I was looking at was not what I was looking at. Cause he said he could watch the light like disappear like he said the back of the light he's like you could tell there was some sort of housing because he couldn't like the light didn't shine back at him but you could see the light like reflecting on the building you could see the light like projected but you just couldn't see the back of the light so he's like it was like the train was there but invisible anyway he was like i just wanted to tell you that i didn't tell you that why i was there because he thought he was like I, I was just so weird he thought he was dreaming but as i remember it my wife did hear a second train, but we were sleeping, so it's kind of like, why the heck would we jump out of bed? Anyway, I told you that because that happened within that last half hour that I just called you. Also, after I got off the phone with my dad, my buddy from the police station just called me back and was like, hey, I'm adding you to the list of these calls. And I was like, what the heck do you mean? So he was like, we had the phone company send the record. The number that called you is two digits too short to be an actual phone number. There's no traceable location. There's no nothing. The area code that they use doesn't exist. The last four digits are only two digits long. He's like, however, so like I said, I'm from Northern Utah to try to give you a little bit of a pinpoint. The university that is in the, my hometown is very old and about 30 miles south, there's another university. So my buddy said, and that's where Dave left us hanging. But I think we got the gist of it. And don't think we didn't notice that Dave somehow snuck another story in there. But who am I to turn down a double bonus? Well, it's all amazing stuff, Dave, and we thank you for sharing it here with us. And do let us know what list you found yourself on. Any updates with this mysterious phone call would be appreciate it like me I'm sure everyone else is dying to know well that's going to do it for this episode Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me Derek Hayes additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Eddie Lloyd all media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use and if you can follow our accounts on social media and give us a like and follow on YouTube as well. And while you're there punching keys and moving the mouse, please consider leaving us a rate and review wherever that's possible. And finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Keep it spooky out there. And I'll catch you all here next week. Have a good night.
Now for tonight's secret story. Do you remember the San Diego Chupacabra slash gargoyle that I promised to revisit? Well, Adrian's here to help us peel back another layer. Hi, my name is Adrian. I live in Portland, Maine, formerly from San Diego. I have a couple crazy stories that's happened to me and some of my friends, one of which is something that's very famous in San Diego, and it's called the Proctor Valley Monster. So Proctor Valley Monster is a like a folklore story, especially around the Bonita, California area, so South San Diego. It's actually a road, it's a service road between Bonita and another city that kind of winds to one lane service road for state purposes, so for park rangers and trying to access, uh, one of the mountains has the antennas for the airport, so it's, it's, it's not meant for everyday use, but you can drive on it. Ever since I was little, I can remember that area was known to be haunted. There used to be a phantom car that would suddenly turn on their lights behind you and then rush at you and then disappear. There was a woman allegedly in white that would follow you. You would see everything from aliens to our version in San Diego of the Bigfoot was called the Zoobies. So it was a very popular place for high schoolers and college kids to kind of hang out and do bonfires and just kind of drink and so when you drive there during the day, you would see a lot of trash or a lot of, you know, empty beer cans and whatnot. But at night, there was no artificial light whatsoever, except for your headlights. So you would see some pretty crazy stuff. So one night, my friend Sal and I, who we would routinely go try to find haunted things when we were bored, we started driving on this road. And uh, this is pre-internet. So not quite internet, but pre-internet, right when the internet was, was taking off. So maybe around 2099. So we, we didn't really do any research, but we just heard the stories and it's just part of the San Diego folklore. So we're driving and it's pitch dark and it's half dirt, half concrete, crazy, you know, haunted trees, this and that. You just keep driving. And, you know, we're trying to outscare each other as we drive. And there's a certain turn it's basically the second to last turn before you get back into uh, the other city. And my car makes that turn and I kind of skid out and lose the back end. And when I catch the back end and straighten out to keep going forward, what we see is probably around a six or seven foot, what I can only describe as is a really dark owl, but it was way too big to be an owl. And it was standing right smack in the middle of the road staring right at us. So I slam on the brakes, stop the car, all the sand starts flying past us from, from braking. And then it's Sal, Sal and I are like totally freaked out. And it kind of looked like it had human legs. And it kind of looked like it had yellow eyes. And we're staring at it and it's way too tall to be an owl. And then all of a sudden it starts flapping its wings and it takes off over our car. You can see the plumes of sand and, and debris flying from underneath his wings over our car. And it lets out this giant screech, but it wasn't even high pitch. It was super low, almost freaking guttural. And then it just takes off. So I really don't know what that was. That area has been known to be haunted. I've never seen a cryptid like that before. never seen one since. But uh, it definitely was not an owl, but it looked like... I mean, it basically looked like a human in an house, but it was very bizarre. Uh, anyway, appreciate the podcast, and I'm sure I'll come back with other stories. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. So could it have been Lechuza, Mothman, Batsquatch, or one of these SoCal gargoyles that we're starting to hear about? The clues seem to be trickling in, little by little. And I imagine it's only a matter of time before we've reached the bottom of this mysterious barrel. Oh, and the Proctor Valley Monster. That's a beast that was on our radar when we were working on the Borrego Triangle documentary. As Proctor Road is not that far outside of Triangle Lines. And this seems like an excellent opportunity to further explore that monster. So here is another first-hand account. This one from back in 1969, courtesy of the Bonita Museum and Culture Center. When I was in high school, my husband, boyfriend at the time, was teaching me how to drive. 
So we drove through there in his old 57 Chevy, and I saw something that, you know, like a flash, and then I saw something move. And I swerved to the left and kind of took his car off the embankment. And only thing he could say was like, I was all upset and worried, and you know, he said, oh, don't worry about it, you just running my gas out of my car. But yeah, I definitely thought I saw something. But, you know, he just said, oh, it's just everybody talking about it, you know. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I said, it was back in 69, so it was a time where it was talked about in school a lot. You know, I went to school here in Chula Vista at Hilltop, and um, it was just a, a big thing of the Proctor Valley Monster at the time in the trees, and everybody seemed to see it. But, of course, everybody was out there drinking all the time. Yeah. So what did it look like to you? What did you think the Proctor Valley Monster looked like? It was just, it just looked like a great big hairy thing, like a gigantic bear type thing. Okay. You know, cool. uh, but there was some kind of flash, and I don't know what that was. But well, it was just, you know, the dirt road that we took out there, you know, mm-hmm. to teach me how to drive a car. And like any good monster, there's a beer named after it. Jamul Brewing Company is a 9.2 Imperial IPA that they lovingly call the Proctor Valley Monster. I'll have to give it a try next time I'm down that way. Overall, it's great stuff, Adrian. And a great legend. So thank you for taking the time to share it here with us. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Because unless you're a supporter over on Patreon, this is where I leave you. To join us beyond, visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and join the $5 level. And don't forget about the $1 ad-free level as well. Now tonight we're discussing red-eyed children, some strange sounds in the forest, and maybe another visit from the infamous Mirrored Men. So to kick us off, join me in welcoming Gabriel from California to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Gabriel. I'm from Arcadia. So I used to work in a facility in Monrovia that was not technically a hospital, but we did do surgeries there. And uh, I worked as a sterile processing technician. So basically, I would clean all the instruments and make sure they were sterile.